Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Let me reach for your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, where we've been for a few weeks now. Hopefully we'll end uh, this chapter today. So Acts chapter 3, we'll be starting in that 19th verse of Acts chapter 3. Once you have found Acts 3, 19, would you be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. Let us hear his word. It reads like this. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the, that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Father, this morning, as we approach your throne of grace, we ask one simple thing of you, that you tune our hearts into you and your word this morning. Let us hear your still small voice as you speak to us through your word. Father, accomplish that this morning by making very little of me and very much of you that you may be seen in all of your glory in this place today. This we pray in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our last time together, we started this uh, final message in this chapter called Results of Being Converted. We'll pick up where we left off last time. If you remember last time together, we... We're looking at these results Peter gave of conversion to those who were gathered before him in the portico as he had, had preached conviction on them and what they had done in rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah and killing him upon a, a cross. And, and he had them there and he had, he had poured this conviction out on them through the word. And, and then he looks at them and he says, uh, repent, repent and be converted. And then he goes through and gives us five things about uh, conversion, five results of that conversion. If you remember last time, we looked at two of those. The very first one was that they may be forgiven of their sins. He told them now that Jesus had come, there would no longer be a temporary covering of sin, that through death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be a permanent forgiveness of sin. And that and that the one that they had rejected and, and killed was the, the one who came that would blot out their sins, remove their sins, not just covered as had been in days past at that day of atonement. And the second thing that we looked at was that, that this repentance and conversion would, that the kingdom would come. Out of that would come the, the kingdom. The changing of their mind about who this Jesus is not only offered them forgiveness of sin, but it placed them in this, this kingdom of God. They would now have a new king. And this new king would have a name, and his name would be Jesus. And with the coming of the kingdom, if you remember, it said there would be this time of refreshing. This time of refreshing. Oh, Israel had been searching for this time of refreshing through the persecution 
for decades. They've been looking for this refreshing. They said it would come because of repentance and this being converted and, and the forgiveness, the blotting out of sins and this, this kingdom that would come that would bring this refreshing. And it would be refreshing that could only be found in the presence of the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So with those two in mind, let's look at the third today. The third result of being converted. And the third result of being converted is that Jesus will return. That Jesus will return. Look at verse 20 with me. And it says this, and that he may send Jesus Christ. It is a fact that you cannot have a kingdom without a king. What really makes a kingdom is the fact that there is a king in place. Wouldn't be much of a kingdom if there wasn't a king, now would it? And for centuries they had been looking for this coming Messiah who would, who would be their king. And, and Peter told them, standing in the portico, you've been looking forever, yet you missed it. Yet, yet you missed it. And Peter, Peter tells them that here that there was no need. There was no need for them to have missed it because they had been told. Look at what he says in the second part of verse 20. He said, and that, they may, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. A better understanding of that word translated preached in our English dictionary or our English uh, Bible here is, is the word appointed. He said that there was, this, there was this one who has been appointed. Peter is telling them that there is one who has been appointed already to be their king and that he had come, yet they had missed it. You see, even as he, he preached his conviction to them and now he's, he's wrapping up his sermon and he's telling them this is the results of being converted, he, he reminds them this king that you had looked for was appointed long before you started searching. This king has come and you have missed it. <coughs> And who is the appointed one? Look at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us it's whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things. It is the one who has gone into heaven until the time that God decides that all things are complete and he sends him back. It's the one who's returned. He's telling them this one that you've been looking for is not just the one that came, but he's the one who has returned to God. And who is the one that was received? If you flip back just a couple of pages in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9, it says this, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. He says, now when he had spoken all of these things, the one who was taken up is the one who was speaking in Acts 1. And who's the one who was speaking in Acts 1? It's none other than Jesus. It's this Jesus whom they had put on a cross. He's connecting the dots of this Jesus who had, had died on a cross, had been buried in a tomb, had come back, had been seen by hundreds, and had been taken into heaven. He's saying, right here it tells us there's been a king that's been appointed, and this king is the one who's been taken into heaven. How many do you think could say that they had been taken into heaven at this point? As they looked, there was, there was literally just this one. It says that he had spoken these things. He had been taken into heaven. Peter again reminds them that the one whom they rejected and killed was the one that God took into heaven and that one day this man was coming back. And even though Peter tells them in Acts 3.17, whenever he says, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Even though he says, I know you did it in ignorance, he also reminds them that, that they had no need to be ignorant. They were ignorant because they chose to be ignorant. 
You see, look at the second part of that 21st verse where it says, Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. It says, Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. How long has this Jesus been proclaimed king? By the mouth of prophets since the world began. There was no need. There was no need for them to have ignorance. But Peter tells them that they have no excuse. They, they cannot say they didn't know. They, they cannot say that God had not given them a chance. They, they cannot say that they had not heard. The only defense that they could have for being ignorant is that they chose not to believe. Guess what? It's the only defense we have today. If we choose not to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's not going to be because you haven't heard the message, especially if you come into this place. If you come into this place, you're going to hear the gospel. You know what happens when you hear the gospel? You're now responsible for the gospel. To leave this place not accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior makes you ignorant, but it's ignorant by choice. It's not by not knowing. It's ignorant by choice. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying here, it's not that you didn't have an opportunity, but, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to look at verse 22 and 23. He says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says uh, to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. See, not only says every prophet from the beginning of time, since the beginning of the world began, has spoken of this Jesus coming. And if you look back through the Old Testament, there's threads everywhere of this coming Jesus. There's threads everywhere. Whether it's from a mountain where a young lad laid upon a pile of wood about to be slain. And God stops the hand of his father and says, there's no need. There's no need for you to do that. For I have supplied for you the sacrifice. And there was the ram in the thicket. All the way to this, this guy named Joseph, if you remember Joseph and his brothers. Joseph and his brothers, which was an example of Jesus leading all the way even through a king, a king named David. All through the Old Testament, as you look, there are threads. There are threads that point to this Jesus that is coming. He's saying to them, Peter goes to the mouth of what is probably the greatest of their prophets and reminds them what God had said. He goes right to the mouth of, of this, this great prophet of theirs, Moses, he says that there would be one that would come up. There would be one that would come up from among them that was appointed by God. He would be like Moses. He would be human. He would be living among them, and he would be bringing the word of God as the ultimate prophet. And whatever he said, he says, whatever he says, you are to take to heart. These words that he says, you are to hear, even as you hear my words. And to reject him and what he had to say would bring upon them, he says, this destruction. This destruction. <laughs> and Israel's problem was <laughs> they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and did not believe. See, Israel's problem was he didn't fit the picture of what they wanted. But notice it says in the Word, God appointed. He didn't form a committee and say, what would you like? Who would best fit this example what type of king would you like to have? No, he appointed a king. And this appointed king is either accepted or rejected on who this king is, not on who we want this king to be. And you see, Israel's problem was he didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit the picture of who they wanted. 
This is a meek and mild and humble man, much like Moses, who came and walked among them. And lo and behold, he died on a cross. How could he be the king? And they chose to reject him. See, Israel's problem was that they did not believe. That is why there is a need for repentance by them. So that they could be converted by God into the, a part of the kingdom. And isn't that the same problem that we have in our world today? Isn't that the same problem that we have today? See, the Bible's clear. The Bible is clear on the fact that there is only one God. There is only one God. And it's also clear on the fact that we have all sinned against the holy God. It is said we all are on level playing ground in one place in this world, and that's at the foot of the cross because we've all sinned against God. We've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of that mark. The Bible tells us that if, if we go on sinning against the holy God, if we continue to do that without regards for this holy God, without forgiveness of our sins, that this, this path that we are on is going to lead to a place of destruction, this death, this separation from God for all of eternity. It's not a temporary solution. It's not anything you can take a pill to fix. It's not anything that you can make go away. If you choose to continue to sin and not accept Jesus for who he is, Lord and Savior, your path is a place of destruction, death, separation for God for all of eternity. No ifs, ands, and buts. It's clear. Accept Christ, have the kingdom. Reject Christ, gain hell. That's the outcome. And that, that's what he's, he's telling him here. But he also tells us that God has made a way of restoration. See, that God has made this, this way of restoration. That is through his only begotten son that he sent to pay the penalty for our sin. Why? Because God loves us. Think about it for a minute. God created us to be in fellowship with him in a garden in that garden, we chose to break fellowship by doing the one thing God said we couldn't do. We have continued that path in our life since that day. We continue to do the thing God said we can't do. He says, out of all the abundance of millions of things that are okay with me, don't sin against me. Yet, yet we choose that. So we have, we have chosen this sin in our life. God, in my mind, has every right to say, fine, live that path, and leave us to it. But he didn't. God loved us. God looked down from the portals of heaven and saw sinful old me and said, you know what? I'm going to send my only begotten son to crawl upon that cross for Roger. Even though he's chosen to sin and he's dead in sin, I'm going to send my son to be his king and his Lord. I'm going to give him the opportunity for restoration through the death, burial, and resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves me. And he says, if we repent, if we change our mind about who this Jesus is, not that he's just another man who came, not some fable in a story, not some words on a page of a book, but if we truly believe that Jesus Christ came from the portals of heaven, crawled upon a cross and died for our sins, that we might be forgiven. If we'll change our mind about who he is, if we'll confess him as both our Savior and our Lord, it says in the word that you will be saved. There is no other path. You see, he's made this way of restoration. He's done it through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and he's placed the ball in your court. What do you believe about this Jesus? See, this is what Peter is telling these that are gathered in the portico. What is it? 
Yet you know what we try to do? We try to find another way to right standing with God. We're no different than the Jews in some sense. See, maybe we're kind of like the Israelites. Maybe we're a lot like those Israelites, and we try to be extremely religious in what we do. We try to keep all the laws. We try to do more good than we do bad. We, we try to show up at church where the doors are open because we feel like we're supposed to. We, we try to help as many people as we can. Maybe that's how we can get in right relationship with God. So maybe we're like the, the Israelites, or, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're like the Pharisees. We try to get all the knowledge about God that we can learn. We try to pack in all the facts. We try to know all the stories. We try to understand how they fit together. We read the Bible every day. <clears throat> we attend Bible studies every week. We, we pray as often as we can. We, we can even quote scriptures. Or, or maybe, just maybe, we're like the Sadducees. Maybe we try to be like the Sadducees, and, and what we do is we judge others. We judge others. How are they doing against the law? And every opportunity we get, we let them know where they fall short, just in an effort to help them get to the right level. We, we feel that, that we're righteous because we keep most of the laws, and we, we base our righteousness before God, not on Jesus Christ, but on the one sitting in the pew next to us. If I can be more righteous than him, I must be close to God. So, so maybe we're like the Sadducees. Who knows, maybe, just maybe, we're like other religions of the world. If we're good to people, God will be good to us. After all, it says that he loves people. Or as long as, as long as those things that I do don't hurt anybody else, you know God's probably good with that. Maybe we're like those. But see, Peter reminds them that there's only one way to be right with God, and it has absolutely nothing to do with how good you are at keeping the law, how good you are to your neighbor, how much better you are than the person sitting in the pew next to you. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. There's only one way to be right with God, and that is faith in Jesus Christ, His Son, repentance, repentance for the sin in your life personally, and that leads to conversion by God in your life into the kingdom, into righteousness. You see, you don't do anything to gain righteousness. You repent of your sin accepting Jesus Christ the righteous one in your life. And when God looks down from heaven at me now, you know what he sees? Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus. When something happens in my life and I fall short of the glory of God and the Holy Spirit reminds me of that and I fall on my knees in repentance before the throne of grace asking for forgiveness of that, the one that stands before the Father for me... Jesus. Why is God willing to forgive me of my sins? It has a name. It's the name Jesus. It does not have the name Roger. There's nothing within me. There's nothing within me that would cause God to desire to forgive me of my sins. But there is everything within His Son, Jesus Christ, that would give God the inclination to forgive me of my sins. You see, he's saying to them, if there is no conversion in your heart, the return of Jesus should strike fear in your hearts. See, that's what he's telling them. He's saying, not only are you forgiven of your sins, not, not only is the kingdom going to come, but, but you know what? This Jesus is going to return. And there's one of two responses to that. Hallelujah, come and come quickly. Or boy, I'm not ready for that. 
That leads us to the fourth result of being converted. The fourth result of being converted is that judgment can be avoided. Judgment can be avoided. We see that in that 23rd and 24th verse where Peter quotes Moses. He actually reaches back into the Old Testament and pulls out from Deuteronomy 18.15. He pulls out and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. So, so Peter, as he's, as he's talking to them and he begins to talk about uh, Jesus' return, and he moves into the fact that at his return there will be this judgment. He reaches back into the, the writings of Moses back in Deuteronomy 18.15. And he says to them, you know what? There's going to be this prophet. Moses was the first and foremost prophet in the eyes of Israel. He was this, this foremost prophet. If you wanted to put the, the hierarchy together of the prophets, Moses would lead the group. He'd be at the top. He was, even as it says within the, the uh, extra writings of the Jews and within our Bible, that he was even seen as the Messiah, so to speak, in one essence. And what he wrote in Deuteronomy 18 was definitely believed by the Jews. I can prove it to you. Flip back to John for me. Flip back to John. If you put your Bibles away, you're going to need them in a hurry here in just a few minutes. John 1, John 1, 21 and John 1, 25. It's the story when, when John the Baptist was, was asked these, these questions in John 21. It says this, and they, uh, or John 1, verse 21, it says, And they asked him, What then? Huh, are you Elijah? He said, huh, I am not. And they said, are you the prophet? Hopefully in your Bible, there's a capital P where it says prophet. And he answered them and said, no. See, when John the Baptist was asked who he was, they, they asked him, hey, man, with these things you're doing, are you, are you Elijah? He says, no. No, I'm not. Then they asked him, said, are, are you the prophet? And he says, no. Look down at verse 25. Verse 25 of that same chapter, it says, And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Interesting statement, sidetrack, throw a nugget, you figure it out. Notice it lists Christ, Elijah, and the prophet. Should be capitalized in your Bible. John there says, Nope, that is not me. That is that's not me. That this prophet there that is mentioned, if you look for the reason that it's capitalized, it's because it reaches back to that statement that was made of Moses in Deuteronomy. When he said there would be one appointed by God that would be the prophet. That's why when you see apostle written, when it's one of the original apostles that had been in the presence of God, it's a capital A. When it's one that's not, it was a little late because it signifies this appointing of God. So this prophet is the one that's spoken of all the way back in Deuteronomy by Moses. Look over at John 6 for me. For you see this same reference is actually used. The same reference is actually used of, of Jesus. It's as he's been feeding the 5,000 or after he's finished feeding the 5,000 and Jesus had done this miracle. And some questioned who he was down in verse uh, number 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet, capital P, who is to come into the world. You see, the Jews understood what Moses had said, and they, they believed what Moses had said. And we know that there were some who believed that Jesus was the Christ, and there were some who believed he was just this God-appointed 
prophet. How do we know that? John 7. Just flip over a page or so towards the end of John 7. John 7 verse 40. John 7 verse 40 says, Therefore many from the crowd when they heard this saying said, Truly this is the prophet, capital P again. But others said in verse 41, This is the Christ. And for those who understood, for those who understood that Jesus was in fact the Christ, his coming would have made them consider why he would return. For those maybe who didn't understand who this Jesus was, it should have struck fear in their heart. See, when Jesus came the first time, when Jesus came the first time, he had a very specific mission. In Luke, in Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, when Jesus came that first time, he came with this very specific mission. When God sent Jesus to earth the first time, he sent him to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. When he he came the first time, he came to show the love of God to the lost and the dying world. He came to demonstrate. He came to demonstrate to us what it was to live a perfect and a holy life. He came to prove. He came to prove to us that man could not keep the law. There was nothing man could do in and of himself to earn the favor of God. He came. He came that first time to die upon a cross, to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He came with a very specific mission. He came the first time to rise again. He came to die on a cross for our sin and he came to rise again that we might have eternal life. See, that first trip, that first trip from heaven to earth had a very specific mission to seek and to save you and I, the lost. But when Jesus comes the second time, the mission's going to be different. The mission's going to be very different when he returns the second time. There'll be no second chances. There'll be no second chances. There will not be another cross. There will not be another tomb for him to lay in that he will be found to be missing from. There will not be another opportunity. See, when he comes the second time, there'll be no second chances. The Bible actually calls the second coming of Jesus the day of judgment or the day of wrath. It will be the day that the ones who reject Jesus will be called before the judge. He'll be called before the judge. Acts 17, Acts chapter 17 lays it out for us when it says this in verses 30 and 31. It says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So he's saying there's been a time that you've been ignorant about who this Jesus is, but he's, he's overlooking that. And he's calling you and I now to repentance. Because, in verse 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You want to know what's in the future with Jesus? There's going to come a day that the overlooking of ignorance will stop. There's going to come a day that this man that was raised from the dead, that we know to be Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, will stand not as with arms stretched on a cross for the forgiveness of sin. He will stand with arms folded across his chest as judge. You see, and who is this ordained one? 
who is this ordained one? John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ, make no mistake, God is sending Jesus to judge the world for the rejection of Him. See, when you think about His second coming, there's one or two responses. Hallelujah, come quickly, or I ain't ready for this. You see, that day is fast approaching. That day is coming in a hurry. We're closer than we've ever been, and it could be today, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we have no idea. We have no idea when it arrives. You remember Mark 13, 22 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The day that God has appointed to close the door on repentance and conversion is only known to Him. It's only known to Him, but it is a day. It is a day that He's already appointed. It is a day that's coming. And what Peter is telling the Jews before him, and I think he's telling us, is that God has provided a way to avoid that judgment. See, how can it be a God of love if there was no avoidance? He's provided a way for us to avoid. God in his mercy and his grace has provided for us an escape. He's he's paid personally the price for our forgiveness. All we need to do, all we need to do is repent of our sin. And God, and God will convert us. God will do the conversion of us into a righteous member of his community. But what if we don't repent? What if we don't repent? See, back in Acts 3, 23, it tells us what happens if you don't repent. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. I find it interesting. It says among the people. That gives us indication of those people that are going to be in that kingdom. And for those who do not repent, they will be destroyed and will not be a part of the people. Destruction is the destination of those who refuse to repent. Destruction will come in the form of eternal damnation to a place called hell. Where there will be fire that will be burning for all of eternity. Where there will be such torment, it says, that there will be this gnashing of teeth. And after last week's experience, I don't want anything that has anything to do with teeth that hurt in my life. I'm going to tell you that. But it's gnashing of teeth. and It says it'll be a place where love will never, ever be felt. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a place that there is no love? It's, a, it's going to be a place of complete isolation. There won't be a party. You won't be hanging out with your friends. You won't be doing all the things that you do on earth that are against God. You will be alone in a place of fire with torment that causes you to gnash your teeth, never feeling love, and complete isolation. Could you think of anything worse? It gets worse. It's, it's where all the things that we search for in this life, all the things that we've done that, that bring us happiness, we think, all the things that we've done in this world will no longer be there. There'll be no relationships with others. There'll be no times of relief and rest. There'll, there'll be no possessions that we've gained to occupy us. There'll be no presence of the one who loves us the most, Jesus Christ. Told you it could get worse. See, that place, the rejection of Jesus Christ, leads to destruction. Destruction places you in a place called hell. 
a place where even if the other things didn't happen, but there was no Jesus, would still be called hell. Aren't you glad that Peter mentions to them and to us that this judgment, this judgment on sin can be avoided? See, aren't you glad? And it can only be avoided by repentance, true repentance of your sins because of your belief in who Jesus Christ is. Not in the stories, not in the faith that your mom and dad or the church has in who Jesus is. It's repentance from your lips to the ears of God because of what you believe Jesus to be by the word of God. You see, avoidance of judgment doesn't come with perfect attendance. It doesn't come with serving on committees. It doesn't even come with standing in a pulpit. It only comes with understanding you sinned against a holy God, and there's only one way to avoid judgment on that sin, and that's belief that Jesus Christ paid the price for that sin on the cross for you, and you accepting that gift of salvation from Him and placing Him as Lord and Savior over your life and confessing that with your mouth. Then the conversion in your life starts by the sovereign grace of God and converting you into what He would have you be, which is a likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, there's a final result of being converted very quickly. A final result of being converted. Fifth and final is this, that blessings will come. For those of us who know that we've repented of our sins and Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, this is the part where you shouldn't be able to sit in your seat. You should be shouting hallelujah through the last part of this message. The reason being is because blessings will come. As surely as there's judgment for disobedience, to God, there is blessing for obedience to God. Look at Acts 3.25. It says, You are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, say to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised that through the seed of Abraham, all the families that ever inherit the earth will be blessed. And the seed of Abraham that God is prophesying about here through the lips of Moses would come in none other than Jesus Christ. It would come in the form of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the world has been blessed. And how do we attain that blessing? By repenting of our belief in who we think Jesus is, <laughs> repenting of who we think He is, and believing in who He really is, the Son of God sent to seek and to save the lost. And realizing we are the lost that he has come to seek and to save. Look at verse 26. It says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. God sent Jesus first to the Jews. And when they had rejected him, the gospel was brought to us, the Gentiles or the Greeks, as it says in New Testament. Jesus said in his departure from earth, if you remember back in Luke 24, back in Luke 24, he says this in verse 46. <coughs> then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Beginning in Jerusalem, the gospel message, the gospel message began to be preached to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, that the blessing of God may be for all 
nations. For all nations, Jesus says. It's like Paul says. It's like Paul says over in Romans 1. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Romans 1.16, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you want to sink your teeth into a passage of Scripture and spend some time looking into the eyes of God, study that passage of Scripture. Paul stands and says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. God has a standard and we've missed it. We shot at the target and the air was nowhere close. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and that's called sin. The Bible also tells us, Paul goes on to write in Romans, that that sin, that sin that we've committed leads one place, death. Death at a place called hell. See, the gospel is we've all sinned and we're headed to a place called hell. But, but God. But God gives us a free gift of salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ, it tells us. He tells us in John 3.16 that He so loved the world. Let's personalize it. He so loved me. He so loved me that He gave His only begotten Son that if I would believe in Him, I would not perish. There would not be death. But I would have everlasting life. See, the gospel is that I didn't deserve it. I chose to sin against the holy God. He loved me anyway and sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for my sins. That's the gospel. But what must I do with that gospel? See, I must believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that he did just that. That he died for my sins. I must confess him not only as my Savior, who stood in my place before a holy God when I had sinned, but I must also confess Him as Lord from that day forward to be following Him, not me. And He says, if I will do that, I will be saved. See, Paul says when he stands before them that he's not ashamed of the fact that Jesus Christ died for a penalty he could not pay for him, died for his sin on the cross that he might have eternal life, and that Jesus Christ is now the Lord of his life. He says, I am not ashamed of that gospel. The blessing of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ came first to the Jews and then was extended to us, the Gentiles. And the blessing of God can only be found in a proper response of repentance because of our belief in who Jesus Christ is. As Jesus stands today, as he did 2,000 years ago, I think he desires for us to hear, to hear, to believe, to repent, that we may be converted. I believe the desire of Jesus' heart today is that you hear, that you believe, that you repent, that you may be converted. I think of the passage in Matthew, I think it's chapter 23. Yes, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus said these words over Israel, and I believe today would say these words over us in verse 37 of Matthew 23. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's a place that was close to his heart. It's a place that he would say later that the gospel should be preached first. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
the one who kills the prophets and so stones those who are sent to her. He speaks. He speaks about their past rejection of this message, of this coming Messiah. Then he says, how often? How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I think Jesus stands today and says, you know what I desire? I desire that you hear who I am. I desire that you believe in what I did for you. I desire that you repent of those sins in your life that you may be converted. If not, verse 38 says, See, your house is left to you desolate. That's that destruction. That's that destruction that leads or follows the rejection of Jesus Christ. Desolation. Damnation in a place called hell. He says, because you were not willing, your house is left to destruction. Then he says in verse 39, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me ask you this today, church. Are you saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Is his second coming going to be a blessing to you? Or does it bring fear to you? Have you repented of your sins? I'm not asking if your name's on a church roll. I'm not asking if you've walked the aisle. I'm not asking if you've been placed under the water and raised to new life. What I'm asking is have you heard who Jesus is? Do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the only way to heaven and that he died on a cross for your sins because you could not pay the penalty? Do you believe that? Have you repented to God for those sins in your life that show your rejection of this Jesus? If so, are you being converted this morning? If not, I believe Jesus desires for you to come to him, believing in him for your salvation, repenting of your sins that you may be converted and enjoy the blessings of God. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.